Well, I'm getting old. The other day, I, I well, I can't see anymore anything. I, I got glasses to see far away, and now I can't see close up, and it's just a mess. This is the Geek Out Loud podcast. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Geek Out Loud. My name is Steve Glosson. So glad to be along with you in your safe place to geek out with some old man. So I cannot see anything anymore. I've needed glasses since I was like in seventh grade. And so glasses slash contacts have just been a part of my life for, you know, longer than I've been alive. Well, no, wait a minute. Hold on. Not longer than I've been alive. Um, I've had them... <laughs> I was I was wearing glasses in the womb and be wearing glasses long after I'm gone. Um, no, I, I, I've i worn glasses more in my life than I did not wear glasses. We'll say it that way, glasses and contacts. Well, this, this strange thing has begun to happen to me. Um, and literally, it's almost like last year when I turned 45, um, a, a switch was flipped. And my body said, all right, well, I will now take away your ability to read or see anything up close. If you are, if you have your glasses on and so, or contacts in. And so when I'm wearing glasses, I, you know, a lot of times I can get away just by kind of raising my glasses up and looking at what I'm seeing. Well, when I turned, um, you know, I literally, it seems like on the day, but like suddenly what has happened is like, nope, no more, not doing this for you anymore. You have no way around it. You must have these reader glasses and which is fine. That's fine. And so when I wear contacts, and usually I'll do that during the summer if it's going to be a hot day and I'm going to sweater. If I'm at the beach, you know, as we were the other week, and um, and so we were uh, we were at the beach. I had my contacts in, and I had my readers, and I kind of kept my readers nearby because you know it's um you realize how much you have to read when or see things up close when you you know, when you finally kind of come to the point that you can't. And so just looking at the phone becomes a chore. So yes, like somebody's grandpa, I put on my glasses to sit down and look at my phone about something. But I noticed that my glasses, my reader glasses were smudged when I put them on. I'm like, well, this isn't good. So I took them off, uh, wiped them up. And then as I looked to see if they were smudging, I couldn't tell. You're too close, too close to tell. I So am I just... Am I just screwed now when it comes to that? Is it is like it? it am, am I now? Should I just start carrying around sucking candies in my, <laughs> in my pocket? Should I just start having like a collection of Worthers and 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 peppermints, you know, in my pocket to hand out to the grandkids or the children around the church or 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 just to have on my person? I, you know, should there be a bowl in the house that's like nothing but like old people candy? You know, that now is stuck to get like when at what time is it time to do that? You know, what like what other old people tropes am I gonna find myself in? I'll tell you this much. 
Fatty likes to watch uh, a, a, a YouTube channel called Wrist, Wristwatch Revival. You'll notice that I tried to approach it slowly and still stumbled through it. Um, and uh, and and this guy, what he does is he just repairs and and cleans wristwatches. I'm there. It's the same. It's the same thing every time. Like he, there's nothing really ever like there's after watching one or two, you realize, Oh, I've been wearing the new balances for years. The fourth Dave in the chat. What you realize after the third or fourth time, Hey, this, it's going to be the same process every time. Um, but there's something comforting about, about watching that. Um, I, I'm, Leaning on, you know, World War II history, you know, maybe getting into that now. I've, I've been smoking meat for a while. So, you know, I'll just say this. Now, I'm hearing bifocals and progressive lenses from the audience. Um, I, like, I feel like that's admitting defeat. I, I feel like, I don't know. It feels dangerous to me. I'm scared to try those things out. Anyway, all right. <clears throat> We shall now move forward in the show with that. Having said all that, we'll say this. Welcome to Geek Out Loud. So glad to have you along with us. Um, my name is Steve Glosson, in case I forgot to mention that. If you're listening for the first time, uh, hey, welcome. We're so glad you've decided to join us. Uh, I'm just another guy talking about the things I, I love, but I don't know, I don't know that you're going to like my takes on a lot of it because my takes tend to not be the the general take when my takes are the general take, I've still got a little hipster in me and I feel bad about myself. So, uh, but no serious business. Um, we're actually going to be talking about something way off the beaten path today. It, we're, I mean, it, this is going to be kind of classic geek out loud, but we've got to get through some classic, uh, big honking show mess first. Before we do all that, we want to thank all those of you who support us via Patreon at patreon.com slash geek out loud. We appreciate everybody. Uh, who 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 just provides a hard-earned dollar to help us pay the, the, the hosting fees and everything else that goes on around here. Um, our featured supporters, one Calvin Bigelow, with speed and agility like no other, Calvin moonsaults his way to victory over all those who would oppress the innocent. Calvin Bigelow is our featured supporter of the episode, and we thank him and all of you who support via Patreon. We've got some live listeners over at Mixer.com slash Goliverse, and we appreciate everyone who has jumped in the chat here with us today. That'd be Daddy Dylan Newhouse, Jeff Lane, Jeff9979, Lakehead Troy, Maui Mark, Michael Hynip, Mike B, uh, Mike B, 1004. Uh, there's been, he, listen, way to go, buddy. You, you got them right. You threaded that needle to get that thousand fourth Mike B. Realtor Angie, Rusty Owens, Tintun, and the fourth Dave all here with us, uh, listening live. And, and if you will follow us on Twitter at Geek Out Loud or X or whatever it's called now, uh, or over on the Facebook and the Guardians of the Goldiverse group, uh, there's an Instagram, Real Geek Out Loud, but I don't, I don't have a picture opposed to say hey we're going live on the instagram but at real geek out loud over on the instagram um you'll know when we're going live and you can come in and click the hearts along with everyone else as we try to reclaim the former glory of the goliverse uh on mixler in those days there there was a time when we were the number one trending broadcast on mixler back in the day 
those days are long gone. And, uh, and, 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 and that's just how, that's how it goes. Ladies and gentlemen, I start something, I start with something. It seems great. seems wonderful. And then everybody starts doing it and I'm, I'm lost in the dark, you know? So, uh, always, <laughs> always the, the, the mediocre is what I am. This is why this is one of my favorite clips in all of Clipdom. I think consistency is key in light <coughs> entertainment. Um, often there's a tendency to reach for excellence, but a life of excellence is a boring life. <laughs> um, I think we also need just comforting mediocrity. That's why I'm here. Absolutely. That's why I'm here. Uh, we would at this time normally go to emails, but we ain't got no emails, Randy. So no emails this time, but I do want to tell you about the Geek Out Loud YouTube. Speaking of things that I've tried to jump on and, and it hasn't worked out great for me, YouTube would be one of those things. And uh, But I'll tell you who's using it is our good friend Lethargic Chewy, along with the guys from Chewy's Cantina. Chewy's Cantina is a great group of collectors over on Facebook. If you want to jump in on that group, go to Facebook and uh, find Chewy's Cantina. And they've started uh, on Thursday nights doing uh, an Ahsoka discussion. And so a bunch of guys just getting together, talking Ahsoka with my friend Lucas, uh, a.k.a. Lethargic Chewy. Um, so that's what's going on on the YouTube right now for Geek Out Loud. Do I have ideas? Sure I do. Is everyone else doing the things that I want to do? Yeah, they are. So, uh, you know, you, you look at sometimes you say, is this something I want to go through the work to do to not make a splash at all? Or would this be fun? And right now, YouTube looks like work more than fun, and so I just I haven't I haven't really thought through the creative niche that I need to just kind of do to thread that needle and actually make an impact in in the YouTube uh, sphere. If I do start really getting YouTube on my end going, um, you'll also see us over on Rumble. So. Uh, just trying to open up all it's, if I did, here's the thing. I'm just going to be honest. I've always been honest with you, the audience. If I decided to do geek out loud or rumble, it would really be for the intent of a revenue stream. So, um, that's why I would go ahead and get on rumble. Cause there's not a lot of geek culture over on rumble that's happening. And, um, and it's an opportunity to, to build a revenue stream over there as much as, uh, on, on the YouTube. So just some things to think about and, and consider as, uh, so we move forward right now on YouTube though, is Chewy's Cantina. Check it out if you're so inclined. And I would check out the group and get involved in the group there. If you're a collector, especially, um, there's, there's a lot to go. Now, one of the cries that has gone out throughout the entire Goliverse for, um, for a long time now has been the fact, and it is a fact, ladies and gentlemen, that in this world, the animals are taking over. Last week, I got a great text from Joey Marinara, Joseph Molinaro, formerly of Rule the Galaxy. He'll be back soon, we hope and pray. Um, and he said, hey, I heard what you said about these animals. Are, are my dogs included in that? The thing that no one wants to hear is, yeah, your dogs are included in that. Your dogs are animals. They're filthy, <laughs> they're filthy mongrels or something. And, and yeah, so, yeah, even your dogs are included because you're just nothing but food and shelter to them. And the animals are trying to take over in an event that we call the Animapocalypse when they try to take over all the world and defeat humanity.
Apocalypse, Anim Apocalypse, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, here we go with some good news uh, from the land of the Anim Apocalypse. First of all, <clears throat> an otter turned outlaw. Well, this is not good news. It continues to evade wildlife officials in Santa Cruz. Now, this is way back in July. I think I saw where this uh, otter had been caught. And a five-year female otter, known officially as Otter 841, has been deemed a public safety risk by state and federal wildlife officials because of her, quote, unusually aggressive, unquote, behavior along the Santa Cruz coast. As a result, wildlife officials at Monterey Bay Aquarium and staff are attempting to capture and rehome the otter to an aquarium or zoo, according to a joint news release. In other words, put her in otter jail. And I believe they found, I believe I saw another article where they did find her now. Uh, I never would have thought, I truly, truly, truly never would have thought that otters would have been the ones because otters are precious um, and, and otters don't bother nobody until they do. You see, you can't trust any animal. You can't trust any animal. They're going to get you. <laughs> they, they are. But here is the good news. Um, we Hank, the tank, who is a bear behind 21 home invasions in Lake Tahoe, was captured early last month, or early in the month of August. Uh, it was a large black bear, believed to be a notorious bandit and a hungry, uninvited house guest, was apprehended by wildlife biologists back in August. Authorities in the town of South Lake Tahoe, California, have been on the lookout for exceptionally large animals since February of 2022, after they reported that one single male bear had been the cause of 152 reports of conflict behavior including 28 home break-ins. They refer to the animal as Hank the Tank, setting off the Internet's affection. See, that's the problem. Uh, the Internet's all like, oh, we love the bear, we love the bear. But it turns out those initial assessments, based solely on visual information, were conflating three bears. Of course there was three bears. <laughs> With a similar pattern of behavior. And incorrectly assuming that all the bears were male. Of course they weren't male. You had a papa bear, a mama bear, and a baby bear. DNA testing confirmed that the bear captured on Friday, who was formerly known as Bear 64F, was a female behind at least 21 cases of breaking and entering. What's more, she was trespassing with three young cubs in tow. Of course she was. Trespassing, according to the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. The agency typically euthanizes so-called conflict bears due to the significant risk they pose to the community. But bear 64F is no ordinary conflict bear. The more homes that were vandalized in the ritzy waterfront community of Tahoe Keys, about 100 miles south, uh, or sorry, about 100 miles east of Sacramento, the more the public came to the defense of Hank the Tank, blaming the bear's behavior on unsecured garbage cans and habitat encroachment. Of course they did. Of course they did. You can't. It's not Hank the Tank's fault. Hank the Tank was, there was unsecured trash cans. And Hank has three babies. It's not Hank the Tank's fault. The CDFW cited widespread interest in Bear 64F as the reason it intends to relocate her to a Colorado sanctuary. Once she has received veterinary clearance, Colorado Governor Jared Polis welcomed the move in a tweet saying he'd welcome Henrietta the Tank. The three male cubs who, ta who, were, who tagged along several break-ins will also be re relocated and rehabilitated, and CDFW hopes it can one day uh, be returned to the wild, having regained a fear of humans. One of the cubs appeared to have suffered serious injuries from a vehicle strike earlier this month, according to the agency. Uh, 
So, yeah. So, hey, good news. We captured one, uh, but that's one. That's one. And, and, and of course, all the people who were just super unaware of the apocalypse came to her defense immediately. You don't realize they're trying to take over. Even the cutest little bunnies. And these bunnies were, were and I have a story here about some bunnies way back in July who were aided and abetted by humans. A community in South Florida has an adorable problem on its hands. Dozens of domesticated bunnies have overrun parts of Wilton Manors, a suburb of Fort Lauderdale. Two years after the residents let loose lionhead rabbits from their backyard, according to local lore, the number of rabbits now outnumber the 81 homes in Janata Isle in the Janata Isle neighborhood or Janata. The furry invasion has divided the neighbor's, neighborhood's residents. Some have allegedly threatened to shoot the animals or feed them to their snakes. Some want to let the bunnies roam free. Others, concerned about the rabbits' safety, are, are racing to raise money. Hey, let's help save the rabbits. Save the rabbits. Listen, if you've if you have someone who has let loose the rabbits in the neighborhood, that is not an indigenous species. People have little gardens and stuff. They don't want the rabbits ruining those. East Coast Rabbit Rescue, a nonprofit organization, is spearheading an effort to rescue and rehome the bunnies. The group managed to rescue 90, 19 rabbits on Friday, three of which are pregnant. Of course they are. There's an old saying about that. Now, listen, th- there are 81 homes. We're told they outnumbered the homes. You rescued 19. You didn't make a dent. I would encourage people to get out, trap the trap the beast, and um, and do with them what you will, but it's it, we can't be, we can't be. See, it gets better, but then it gets worse again. And now, now it seems like it's much worse. Something has taken place, um, that I I don't know what this means, but it I can't imagine it means anything good. A rare spotless giraffe was born in a Tennessee zoo. So this happened back in August, uh, late August. A female reticulated giraffe was born at Bright Zoo in northeastern Tennessee late last month. But unlike her mother, she was born without any spots. A rarity. Standing 14 to 15 feet tall, giraffes are the tallest mammals in the world. When mothers gives birth, the calves are already six feet tall. And other than on special rare occasions, they're born covered from hoof to horn in brown spots. Bright's Zoo in Limestone, Tennessee, announced that it welcomed the birth of a reticulated giraffe without any spots on July 31st. WJHL 11 News reported. Now, that's interesting. That's like a story of note. An, an animal was born not looking like it should. It's not an. It's not a, what we would call an albino because it has perfectly brown fur and it seems absolutely normal, other than having no spots. In fact, the the entirety of its coat appears to be the color of the giraffe's spots normally. But now, not long after that, this from September twelfth. The Giraffe Conservation Foundation announced in a Monday news release that a spotless giraffe was found roaming around the Mount Etjo Safari Lodge, a private game reserve in Namibia. The foundation says that the Angolan giraffe is the first ever spotless giraffe found in the wild. Within months, believe me, hear what I'm telling you, within months, two spotless giraffes have been born 
this can mean only one thing. The prophecy is being fulfilled. What prophecy you say, I don't know. But I guarantee you that if you were able to get some animals around and be like, hey, have you heard? Two spotless giraffes have been born on opposite sides of the world. Just weeks apart. Those animals would look at you and say, it is time. They would. It's the, it's the, I'm telling you. We're in trouble. These types of rare events have only served to embolden the, the animal kingdom. They even, listen, they come at, they know who I am out there. The animals know me. They know the message that I am uh, promoting. They know the they know the message I'm putting out there. Just the other Sunday morning, I was driving to church, and in the area I live in Rome, there are many many geese. Uh, we've let them listen. the 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 city in, of Rome and the county of Floyd have allowed the geese to be overpopulated, and we got fools who will be driving down the road, and you'll have just a whole gaggle of geese, literally a gaggle. Uh, crossing the road. And you know what people do? They will stop for them and let them cross the road. When really what you should do, you don't want to mess up your car, so continue to ease forward. They know that they can't beat your car. They'll get out of the way. Don't break for geese. Now, no one in Rome except for lethargic Chewy is hearing this, but but I, maybe he'll help me spread the word. Don't break for geese. I need to get a, I need to get a bumper sticker that says, I don't break for geese. Well, the other Sunday morning, I didn't break for the goose. (laughs) And one decided rather than just move out of the way, it would fly away. And it began to fly and it said, I'm going to come right for you. And you know, that thing hit the top of my car. It did. The jerk. I wasn't happy about it. I saw Goose's underbelly and I said, oh, well, you know what? I'm going to win this fight if you try to take me on. And and I clipped him. He didn't die. He I guess he continued to fly off and just has kind of a stomach ache the rest of his life. I don't know. But I'll tell you this much. I don't break for geese. It's 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 the dumbest thing you can do. They need to learn their place. Animals need to learn their place. It scares me that giraffes like this have been born mere weeks apart. Finally. In Animapocalypse News, the animals have now used Hurricane Adelia uh, from last month to really see if they can get repopulated. Last week, we shared a story of the lady who had a snake fall out of the sky on her arm. And then the hawk came down and attacked her as well to get the snake back. But here's a weird deal, man. Uh, Since Hurricane Adelia came through, flamingos have been popping up all over the United States. Dozens of sightings have been reported from Texas to Florida, as far north as Pennsylvania, and most states in between. I don't know a lot about the flamingos' migratory habits, but I never hear anyone say, oh, it's flamingo season here in Pennsylvania. You should come up. It's beautiful this time of year. Though flamingos can be found in parts of Florida, it's safe to say they don't frequently hang out further north in states such as Kentucky, Tennessee, North and South Carolina. They likely got caught up in Hurricane Adelia last week. Imagine that. <laughs> you know, Flamingo's got that long neck, so you know they got a stupid voice. Hey, 
What's going on around here? According to Nate Swick, the American Birding Association's digital communications manager, that's a fairly common phenomenon for birds, but not for flamingos, he said. A flamingo is a bird, Nate Swick. If you're going to be the American Birding Association's digital communications manager, you need to realize flamingos are birds. It's a fairly common phenomenon for birds, but not flamingos. We're seeing flamingos all over the place. We're seeing them in places we didn't expect them, Swick said. That's why this is news, Swick. Hey, Swick, guess what? If you were seeing them where you expect them, not news. Elated bird watchers have been searching high and low for them. Have you heard there may be flamingos in the area? Let's go. Once a pair of birds were found in southern Ohio, sort of everything kind of broke loose, says Swick. Ohio was the northernmost point for the flamingos as of Wednesday. That is until a pair of flamingos were sighted in the southern in southern Pennsylvania's Franklin County on Thursday morning. Well, it is flamingo season around here. It's beautiful this time of year. It's beautiful. According to counts on the American Birding Association's Rare Bird Alert. Hey, Rare Bird Alert. Rare Bird Alert. (laughs) Facebook page. There have been sightings in at least 10 states. Florida, Ohio, North and South Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, Alabama, Texas, and Kentucky. The ones that ended up in Georgia got eaten. I don't know. Well, let's see. They probably got shot. Hey, look what I mounted over here. It's a flamingo. Uh, Y'all got them plastic ones out in your yard. I put a real-life stuffed flamingo out in my yard. Got him taxidermied and everything. Ain't he look good? He looks almost like he could just take off right here from my front yard. I had him put put him on one leg for me uh, because it's just better. But look, y'all, see, my neighbors down the road, they got those plastic flamingos. Mm -mm. No, sir. When I saw these down there by the river, I said, yep, they are coming home with me. I'll show you what decorations really look like. So there's all your apocalypse news that we've missed over the past few months. Maybe we're all caught up. I hope you're convinced they're trying to take over. We'll be back after this on the Big Honk on the Geek Out Loud. This summer in an all-new hilarious comedy, Adam Sandler is the ice cream man. Oh, don't you want an ice cream sandwich? That's one of my favorite treats in the world is an ice cream sandwich. It's just ice cream sandwich, and I was thinking all day I got to have some ice cream. Hey there, Buck, I think one of my ice cream sandwiches fell down in the back of that fridge over there. Oh, thank God, an ice cream sandwich. <laughs> I smushed it a little falling in. Oh, do you need any help getting out of that fridge, or do you want to finish the ice cream sandwich first? I totally understand going after an ice cream sandwich. I totally understand, too. 
because I'm Stan, the ice cream man. This film is not yet rated. It's that time of year again, and you might be wondering where to go in the Hazelhurst area for your home supplies. Well, we asked a few of your neighbors. Sir, where do you go? Pissanky. Well, hey there, folks. It looks like you're planning to remodel your toilet to make it handy capable. Where did you go? Pissanky. Hey, sir. I know you have a lot of plastic knives and duct tape. Where'd you go to get those? Pissanky. I can't help but notice you're looking for a new hammock, sir. Can I ask why? My hammock's been tainted by a bear. Um, okay. Is there anything I can help you with, sir? Get off my lawn. Pisanky, for all your home improvement ideals. Mm-mm-mm. Again, public service announcement, ladies and gentlemen. When you have a baby and you have no job and you have no real income outside of your disability and everything, just get rid of the bunnies. It's okay. It's okay.
Hi, this is Steve Glosson, and you're listening to Geek Out Loud. Welcome back to Geek Out Loud. I apologize on the way out there. I almost said Big Honkin' Show. That's because this really took me back to um, being on the Big Honkin' Show on Fridays because we really went full on Big Honkin' Show there for a little bit. And, I, and For those of you who are tuning in to hear thoughts on Ahsoka, still waiting. I've got to get with Teresa. Teresa tried to call me the other week, and I have been a horrible friend and not returned said call um, I know that our our desire is to get back together and do uh, an Ahsoka show, not like a episode by episode thing, but just kind of check in and and do a little bit of like a Rebel Yell segment uh, concerning Ahsoka and and what's gone down. This latest episode has got everyone all up in a tizzy and and loving life and loving Star Wars again, and I, I think that. Um, I I personally feel like it was good and there was a lot good about it, but I I think that for many of us we got to take off the nostalgia glasses and um and and see what we can see as it as it pertains to that sort of thing. So um as I'm as I'm rocking along here <clears throat> um <laughs> Oh, wow. Uh, have you checked out Shu? Shu seems to be back a little bit. I don't, here's the thing. I don't like saying anything's back because when you do, then suddenly it doesn't happen again. In fact, I was on Rule the Galaxy back earlier in the year when things, we finally had kind of gotten things going um, pretty uh, pretty good for, for Geek Out Loud and everything was just kind of started. It seemed like we'd started to find a groove again. And I was on Rule the Galaxy, and Joey Marinara says, Hey, Geek Out Loud's back, man. I said, Stop it. You're going to jinx it. And sure enough, not long after that, um, everything fell apart for months. So I don't I don't want to say Shoe is back, but I know that Derek Russell and myself have uh, picked up our discussions of Season 2 episodes of Smallville on Starkville House of L. Check it out at Smallville Podcast. And uh, on the episode coming up, we discuss Red. And uh, on that on re- on on the DVDs, season two DVD, there was a commentary with Michael Rosenbaum and Christian Crook, and they were talking about the episode Red. And uh, the actor who plays the father uh, in that episode, Ed Brooks of 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 like the girl who comes to town, and Clark, you know, puts on the red kryptonite. And anyhow, the point is, Michael Rosenbaum says that this particular actor looks a lot like uh, Bill Bixby the whole time, and um, and so. Uh, I mentioned that on the show and Derek just sent me this post from fandom uh, about this individual and he portrayed Shoop in the TV movie, The Death of the Incredible Hulk. So that is, that's pretty awesome. So anyhow, uh, as we come back here, uh, what else is going on? A couple of things I wanted to mention before we get into another discussion here. Amazon links may be working, maybe not working. I don't know. Geek out online, geekoutpodcast.com. Who really knows anymore? <clears throat> Amazon has made their, um, I need someone to like sit down with me and tell me all the gobbledygook they sent and how to actually do the things they want me to do 
when it comes to Amazon links and being an Amazon associate. So if you if you're familiar with that and you want to get in touch with me, I'll be glad to listen to you. Um, <laughs> that's all I got right there. So thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll see you next time on on Geek Out Loud. Uh, there's been something that's been on my mind a lot lately, and and this has nothing to do with anything new or anything fresh in the world of geekdom. Uh, it has to do with things that are really at this point. Gee whiz, when was this released originally? 89. So this 30-something years old now at this point. Um, welcome to Geek Out Loud, where an old man talks about the things of of his childhood. Uh, so back in the day, uh, there were some things that happened around Marvel Comics. And many of you will know, if I say Joe Fixit, I think that surprisingly a lot of people have come to know who Joe Fixit is. If you don't know, don't worry. I'm about to tell you. Joe Fixit was the nom de voyage, the name that he travels by, um, go, by of the Grey Hulk. He actually, th- there was a moment in time in the comics where the Hulk went from green to gray, and he was only turning into the Hulk at night, and he was Bruce Banner during the day. This is how it all started way back in Incredible Hulk issue number one. The Hulk was originally gray. They couldn't get the printing right on it, so he'd show up gray sometimes, and he'd show up you know, uh, pitch black at others. And so Stan Lee says, we got to do something about this. What's the color we can use? And the printer said, I can do green pretty good. He said, all right, do green. And thus, in the next issue, the Hulk was green rather than gray. Uh, and, and then in all the reprints, subsequent reprints for years and years afterwards, they just recolored the Hulk gray or I'm mean, green and all those reprints. So in, in the early eighties, um, in, in Hulk issue number three twenty four, uh, I think it is, um, after a big series of events, the incredible Hulk, uh, found himself, Bruce Banner did found himself in a nutrient bath. I guess it was charged with some kind of gamma rays and general Ross, general Thunderbolt Ross in an attempt to just be rid of the whole thing altogether, tried to sabotage everything. Rick Jones caught him. Rick Jones gets pushed in the nutrient bath. And when everything kind of crashes and comes crashing down, uh, out comes a gray Hulk that immediately turns into banner and banner thinks he's done, but then it's back to the night and day thing. At some point, they go on these adventures. He goes on these adventures with S.H.I.E.L.D., of all people. And um, there's a gamma explosion, and the Hulk is believed to be dead. But really what happens is he's left just being permanently the Hulk. There's no banner. So he's smart. He's not like Hulk smash, Hulk smash, anything like that. He's smart. He goes to Vegas and becomes a, an enforcer for, uh, for a dude that runs a casino and a, and a little bit of a mob out that way. And everybody, everybody, everybody loves Joe Fixit, or they think they do, you know, like it's, and the Gray Hulk is just the coolest thing. I remember there was a, a trick of the light in the Incredible Hulk, the MCU movie, the Incredible Hulk, back in uh, 2008. And everyone's like, oh, this must be a nod to the Gray Hulk because look, it's green looks gray now. And I'm like, that's eh, just a trick of the light. But everyone thinks they want the Gray Hulk, right? And uh, meanwhile, I was reading that title. I was happy with the Gray Hulk. I wasn't anti the Gray Hulk, you know. But as I'm reading that title, something began to happen, and he began to turn back and forth. He, he he began to have to you know deal with Banner again, and then, in a, we won't go on the round road. But anyhow, he eventually was green again. They were merged into what people began to call Professor Hulk, and then 
Um, then through a series of events, you know, they stopped worrying about should we change this or not, and he's just the Hulk now, you know, whatever the case may be. He's If they want him dumb, he's dumb. If they want him smart, he's smart. You know, it's just whatever serves the story. But this incarnation of the Grey Hulk just really captured everyone's imagination. Everyone always gets excited when we talk about Grey Hulk, Grey Hulk, Grey Hulk. Another change that took place in the early 80s was Spider-Man's suit. Uh, it was in the, the the miniseries Secret Wars, and the all the heroes and villains, or many of the heroes and villains, had been removed from Earth and taken to a place called Battleworld. Battleworld was a planet that it was made up of other pieces of planets all smushed together, and this being that eventually becomes to be known as the Beyonder took all of the villains and all these villains and heroes and put them on Battleworld and said, fight it out, and whoever wins, I'll grant your greatest wish. Well, the heroes immediately realized, hey, this is a problem. We've got to win because there's no telling what these evil people will do if they win and what they'll wish for and and try to do, especially with Dr. Doom there. You know, he'll want ultimate power, and this being can apparently give it to him. And um, it, it was, uh, you know, Galactus is there. And Galactus is like, I tell you what I'll do. I'll eat the planet and then I'll make my wish. Um, and in the course of things, uh, there was a lot of battles, a lot of fight. I love Secret Wars. And um, Spider-Man, his his web shooters are all used up. His suit's all damaged. Well, here comes Iron Man saying, hey, there's a machine in there that'll give you what you need. And so Spidey walks in and uh, gets in the machine thinks of a suit and out pops new duds man he's got new threads and they're black with that giant white spider on it now to be fair they had run into the new spider woman and spidey says hey i must have really like that costume and in my mind that's what i wanted well you know what happens he gets back to earth he's a little more aggressive he's a little meaner he's a little and eventually he realizes oh it's the suit that's making me do this it's the suit that's um that's uh that's that's doing these things. So I have to get rid of this suit with the help of the fantastic four. He gets rid of the suit. The suit somehow escapes what they'd done and ends up merging with Eddie Brock becomes the character we know as venom. And everybody loves venom and everybody loves the black suited Spider-Man. Well, a little bit after that, in all of these changes that are going on in fantastic four, number three, 10, uh, Ben Grimm is the leader of the fantastic four at this point. Steve Englehart had taken over the writing of the Fantastic Four. John Byrne had been writing for a while, and I'm not really sure. I'm actually looking right now when John Byrne's run ended uh, the first time around, or this time around on Fantastic Four there in the 80s. Uh, but he wrote through Secret Wars 2. John, he wrote a great... Um, like, John Byrne was just a great writer on the Fantastic Four. There's not a lot of complaining I can do when it comes to John Byrne's Fantastic Four. Uh, but understand that, you know, Ben had left the Fantastic Four. She-Hulk was now in as the fourth member of the Fantastic Four. Around issue 296, Ben Grimm comes back as the thing. Uh, at this point, it's there's just some weird stuff going on. Johnny is um, Johnny Storm is dating Alicia Masters, who used to be Ben Grimm's girlfriend but ben stayed behind on battle world after everyone left the, the secret wars because he could turn back and forth into human into his human form and that just was more appealing to him than going back to earth and being a being a big rocky thing all the time i just i love the thing by the way understand 
I, he's he's right up there with the Hulk for me in in my Marvel character love. I I think the Thing is one of the best characters in comic books. Period. That's just my personal opinion. I know that is, um, <clears throat> I know that's you know subjective. But anyhow, so the Thing ends up back in the group, and Steve Englehart took over the writing of uh, the Fantastic Four. Um, well, maybe it wasn't Steve. Maybe it was Roger Stern who wrote for a little while. Stern took over, um, for an issue or two. They, they seem to have gone through some writers and Steve Englehart comes in around issue three Oh five. And it's around this time that Sue and Reed leave the fantastic War. Mr. Fantastic and invisible woman leave to go, um, raise their son. And this leaves the thing in charge. So he, along with the Human Torch, they recruit Crystal, an elemental inhuman who had been part of the Fantastic Four before. She was kind of like family with the with the whole group. And Sharon Ventura, a.k.a. Miss Marvel, who had been on the wrestling circuit and had, had been given some powers, I think, by the power broker, uh, just some super strength and that sort of thing. But, uh, but she had so also had some issues like hated men, uh, you know, Ben was attracted to her and they had a decent relationship, but she would never fully kind of give herself over to being in a relationship with him. And, and so they all four begin to go on these adventures and stuff. And, and several, several years ago, we covered what a lot of people have come to call secret wars three. And they call it that because of issue three nineteen of the fantastic four. And this is where the beyonder comes back in and they meet him in his own universe and everything. But that's not what I want to talk about here. What I want to talk about is what happens after that whole deal. In issue 320, we have a great fight between the the Hulk and the Thing. Now, this is Thing. In issue 310 of the Fantastic Four, what happened was is they had been fighting this dude who was like a TV signal named Facade. And he... They, they, they're doing something. They end up in a rocket ship, you know, blasting off from earth to get him away from earth. Cause they're like, if we can get you far enough from your signal, your signal will die out and you'll be done. Cause he's basically like a television kind of signal dude. He's made of television signals, really weird character. And so they get into space. So his thing, but before his, uh, signal all fades, he takes over the rocket and sends them through some cosmic rays. Now, cosmic rays are what turned the fantastic four into the fantastic four in the first place. Well, it's just Ben and Sherry, as as she comes to be called, Miss Marvel, in in the in the rocket ship there, and they go through these things, and they actually end up crash landing in uh, in, in Wakanda of all places. We don't find that out for sure until the next uh, issue, but the the cosmic rays cause the thing to go from being just kind of like a smooth, rocky, surfaced skinned guy to being a little more spiky, a lot more textured, bigger, and ultimately stronger. And it turned Sharon Ventura, it turned Miss Marvel into a thing-like person. So she's all upset because, you know, now she looks like a thing. And he's, you know, like, I've mutated. I'm a lot stronger than I was, and i got to figure out how to help her through all this. And there's just some great character work that goes on. All the way through the whole deal, you know, the whole adventure they go on through from the mole man to the other universe, you know, is, is what issues three thirteen through three nineteen are one of my favorite story arcs in, in com- comic. we've talked about at the end of that though, 
Uh, the Thing and the Hulk end up having a fight in issue 320. Great fight. The Thing wins because he's stronger. It's the Great Hulk who's not quite as strong as the Green Hulk, and his strength doesn't get greater. He gets stronger as he gets angrier, but not at the exponential level that the Green Hulk did. And so he just doesn't have that that the brutishness of the Green Hulk that just gives in to his to his nature, to his animalistic nature and his brute strength. So um so they have a fight and in three twenty it seems like the thing has won. And then that something happens at the end and it continues over in Hulk three fifty and it's a great story, great fight, and the Hulk ends up winning and almost drowning the thing. Uh, this brings us back into the Fantastic Four, and in issue three twenty one, you get Miss Marvel and She Hulk having a having a fight. Now I call her Miss Marvel. A lot of people call her like She Thing. That is not a, that's not her name. She is Miss Marvel, and and people don't like that because they want they want Miss Marvel to be, always be Kamala Khan. But the Miss Marvel title is something that's been thrown around between a lot of characters in comic books. So, um, but. But she has a fight with She-Hulk, and then that leads us into, after that issue's over, uh, we get into uh, some stuff with the Inferno situation that was happening where Limbo had been unleashed on Earth. Uh, That was happening primarily in X-Men titles, but one of the great things that happened was you didn't have to read the Inferno series over the X-Men to know what was going on, but they let it bleed over into other titles. So... Uh, in the Spider-Man titles, the Hobgoblin became an actual goblin. Um, in the Fantastic Four titles, all of all of New York is going crazy with this Inferno thing, and it causes Johnny Storm's powers to get ramped up, and he can't flame off. He gets to where he can't flame off. Kang and Mantis show up in the middle of this thing, and there's all kinds of weird stuff going on. And Johnny Storm actually ends up in space, having to be rescued by the Silver Surfer. And, uh, and when he comes back, uh, to Earth, Ben has called on Reed to come help Johnny with his problem of not being able to um, to flame off. Steve Englehart's writing all of this, and I and I'm bringing that up because there comes a point where Englehart steps away, and, and because he stepped away, not just because of um, not because it was time, he wasn't really happy. Uh, with with what went on in in what the in what Marvel Comics made him do, because they made him depower Ben Grimm and Ben Grimm becomes human again around issue three twenty seven through a series of circumstances. There's this rogue watcher that comes into play, and he actually kidnaps all the frightful four at the time and the Fantastic Four, and basically puts them in suspended animation and gets a clone Fantastic Four out there. And those clones include a clone Reed, a clone Sue, uh, a clone Johnny Storm, Ben Grimm, and Sharon Ventura. So you've kind of got the Fantastic Five. And they actually start to go a little sideways. They start to go a little evil in in the real world. But what the Watcher's doing is he's watching the dreams of the people he has in suspended animation. And so what we have are two or three issues where what we're reading are actually dreams that are taking place and we'll cut to what's going on in the real world. And all of the, in all of these dreams, like there's one dream where the whole world is destroyed. There's one dream where the fantastic four beat Ultron. And you know, it's a great thing. There's another issue where, um, where Johnny dreams that, you know, Sue and crystal are having this big fight because Sue is worried about crystal ruining Johnny's marriage to Alicia masters. And, 
And eventually that's kind of what wakes Johnny up because of the stress of all that. His body temperature begins to rise and he wakes up and frees everyone else. You have this big fight uh, between the fake Fantastic Four and the real Fantastic Four to end all that. But at that point, remember, you've got human Ben Grimm and a clone, uh, uh, a clone thing uh, that was the mutated version. And basically the, the rogue watcher named Aaron, he, He's a rogue watcher because you're not supposed to interfere, and he has. You know, he's like the cousin of Uatu or something like that. But anyway, I say stuff like that, and that's stupid. Someone's going to be like, he's actually, he's not a cousin. He just happens to be a watcher along with Uatu, and he's gone rogue by interfering. And I, I can't remember if they put him in suspended animation and all the other clones, too. I, I honestly don't remember exactly uh, what happens to end that whole that whole deal. But I do know that what happens next is Walt Simonson comes in and takes over. And that was the acts of vengeance storyline. We'll stop there because I want to talk about Steve Englehart. I read an interview a long time ago where he talked about all that he was able to do and love doing and how he took the fantastic four in a little bit of a, you know, this different direction without reading Sue, without all these tropes that they'd always had. And now he was telling some really weird stories and some fun stories. And honestly, yeah, his his arc from 313 to 319 is just amazing. And then he gets locked into some of these crossover things, but he's still doing some neat things. You put Johnny in a situation where he can't flame off. You've got um you you've got uh you've still got the 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 relationship dynamics with Ben and Sherry going on. Crystal has been called back to the Inhumans, and so now there's the whole thing of well, who will they pick as their fourth, you know? And, and I'm sure that Englehart had ideas, but for whatever reason, he, they didn't get to come to fruition because people did not like, um, it seems like people did not like what had been done to the thing. Um, we've revisited Black Suited Spider-Man. We've revisited the Gray Hulk, you know, time and time again, we've done these things. But since 1989, um, when he was, uh, turned into a human. Uh, we have not revisited the mutated thing. We've not revisited that leveled up Ben Grimm as a thing. And, and it just, it's a cool design. I, and I know, listen, here's the thing. I recognize that I am most likely alone, alone, alone in my thought process on this, but I feel like that's one of the things that has been neglected by writers of Marvel comics to take and, and do this. Now, what's happening currently in the Fantastic Four is actually kind of intriguing and interesting, but we've also, uh, in the in the interest of having, I don't know what the interest is, but they have two children now who are progressively getting a little, I mean, Franklin's a lot older than he used to be. You know, Franklin was perpetually like seven, and uh, and now he's a teenager, and he has a sister, Valeria, who is not much younger than he is, but she's super smart. They've taken away Franklin's powers. Um, it came out that the Alicia that John Johnny Storm married was a scroll. So the real Alicia they rescued from the scroll world. This is kind of, and and really, it's like you know a, a, that's a precursor to Secret Invasion. You know, twenty years prior, um, when when you had that happen, but. Uh, Alicia had no memory of, of ever knowing of being in love with Johnny Storm. You know, she was apparently kidnapped while they were all on Battle World during the Secret Wars. And so when Ben didn't come back, the scroll who had been sent to infiltrate them and know how to defeat the Fantastic Four, uh, set her sights on Johnny. So, um, 
so Ben and Alicia are now married, and that's great. That's fine. That's that's really how it should be. But they've got two adopted kids. One's a Cree and one's a Scroll, and um, that's weird, you know. But that's fine. It, it hasn't really interfered with the story. But there's a whole story arc now going on where. Uh, after a battle, Reed had to send all the kids away through time uh, for a year, and that caused the Fantastic Four to become very ostracized by societies. But anyhow, um, but even in, in all that time, in, in everything that's going on, we've not seen we've seen Ben Grimm human, we've seen Ben Grimm in his exosuit, we've seen some girl you know for a while take over the role of being the thing in the exosuit, we've seen. Um, that was a weird Fantastic Four or Fantastic Five kind of run many years ago. But anyhow, uh, we've seen him be able to, now he's able to once a year be human, you know, which is weird. It's kind of a, that's a very, to me, that's one of the more golden or silver age things they've done in a while where Reed can't cure him, but he's given him this, uh, this, this serum that once for once a year for 24 hours he'll be you know human or whatever the cat or for one week once a year he'll be human you can't cure him but you can make him human for one week a year why not make him human one week and then give him the serum next week and he can you know that sort of thing none of my business i'm not in that family anyway but we've never revisited the 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 thing uh it being being mutated and i don't know why Maybe the thing is not as popular character as Spider-Man and the Hulk. I, I do think that because of Iron Man in 2008 and and what that movie did, it, you know, Iron Man became much more of a household name than he had ever been. And and so I think a lot of people now, you know, he's like, he's my favorite character. Iron Man's the best. Spider-Man is iconic. You know, there, there's, iconog- there, there's iconography that goes along with, with Spider-Man. And... He is, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's Marvel's flagship character above all. Uh, the Hulk, I think people underestimate his, his popularity a little bit. Um, I know I do. I, I know I'm always surprised to find out how many fans of the Incredible Hulk are actually out there. And, uh, and, and so to, to, to be thinking about these things and realize that I have to, I have to admit the thing is not necessarily, the um the popular character that the Hulk is, but there's also he it didn't last as much time. In issue three twelve, he is the he he's in issue three ten rather he's mutated into this thing. In issue three twenty five three twenty six, he's back to human. So for a little over a year, he is uh, this mutated version of the thing. The Hulk, the Gray Hulk, was uh, he was gray and smart from issue three twenty four until around issue three sixty two, you know. So, and then even beyond, there were some things that went on after issue three sixty two between issue three sixty two and three seventy of the Hulk, where he um, it was it was kind of a battle back and forth between the Gray and the Green Hulk, you know, and who's going to who's going to prevail, and that brought about the the whole Professor Hulk thing. Um, Spidey, you know, he got that he got that uh that that gray that black suit in Secret Wars and it was debuted uh in the actual comic and remember he had three uh comics happening at the same time in those days. Um 
he I'm trying to I'm sorry, I'm trying to pull it up actually right now to find out exactly how long he was he was in that suit. <clears throat> because he had he had the he had amazing Spider-Man, he had Web of Spider-Man and Spectacular Spider-Man all running concurrently back in those days. And so there were there were you know, I mean that black suit was all over the place. Even though it wasn't necessarily on all the covers of of everything. So I think it was around issue 280. Was it issue 280 when he popped out? It had to be earlier than that in time. Let's see here. I'm now rolling, rolling, rolling. Keep them doggies rolling. But now, like you think about this, there's this issue of the amazing Spider-Man where he's beating down. Issue 252, he makes his, his debut in the black suit. Okay? Um, and with, uh, with, 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 there's, you know, there's this, and he just gets tougher and meaner the whole time. And there's ultimately this issue of him in the black costume, like the cover is, it may be in a spectacular Spider-Man cover where like he's beating down Fire Lord, uh, and he's wearing, cause he's wearing the black suit or what have you. Um, but that black, that black suit hangs around through Secret Wars 2, uh, issue 270, he's beating down Fire Lord. Um, that black suit hangs around through Secret Wars 2, and he kind of begins to alternate here and there. But, you know, it's it's issue... Good night. You just forget how long he goes through the Craven the Hunter thing and all that good stuff. And it's like issue 300 um, when he finally lays it down. So... What again? Another four years, three or four years, where he's back and forth with that thing, and then and then what spills out of that is Venom. You know, one of the most popular comic book characters ever uh, was Venom, and and is Venom to this day. Can they get the movie right? No, but you know, can but th- that's I guess that's the thing is as you look at what 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 you have there, Hulk became. Um, smart and that sort of thing now i want to bring this up in the chat jeff lane says gray hulk and cosmic spidey were around at the same time right i remember cosmic spidey punched hulk into orbit and the sun starts to rise turning back into bruce remember you're actually remembering that right that's uh, amazing spider-man 328 it's in the middle of the um uh acts of vengeance storyline that that cover was done by todd mcfarlane i don't know that he did the interior art for that because i think he he was already gone uh, at that time, and Eric Larson was starting to take over. But that was a Todd McFarlane cover that was done um, with with Spidey punching the Hulk. Cosmic Spidey is different than Black Suit Spidey. Cosmic Spidey lasted, you know, for the about three months, and and before it finally turned out, it was um, Captain Universe, which I think is just one of the coolest things that ever happened in in comics too. With to Spider Man, I I love that stuff, but. Um, but see, the Gray Hulk was around during the black suit of Spider-Man stuff too. So the Gray Hulk is around, Spidey's around in the black suit. They're both around for years and they're both different in those personas. Spidey, that, that black suited Spider-Man, uh, you know, he had an edge. He got angrier. He was, he was more aggressive. There was a story arc to it. Ben Grimm was the same, no matter what, nothing changed about Ben Grimm other than the way he looked and his strength. Like, and I think that's really kind of key is like, there was nothing, you know, it didn't as interesting as the look was. And as interesting as the stories that he was involved in were around that time, there was nothing about him that changed. 
Gray Hulk, you never heard him say Hulk is the strongest there is or Hulk smash. When he was gray, he was he was smart alecky. He was talking and, and Peter David was writing that and has sunk his teeth into it. You know, he really got behind the psychology and the and, and, and the psyche of the Hulk. And and he had some interesting stories, you know, in his day with, with the Gray Hulk, everything. Just the 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 Vegas stuff only lasted a few months, you know, but it made an impact because Here's this guy that's supposed to be, you know, doing weird, doing amazing superhero stuff. And he's, he's decided to settle into Vegas as a leg breaker. He found his niche there, you know, and he did, he really did find his niche, but he, um, but eventually he had to leave because, you know, there were too many super people that were showing up around him and, and it was causing the, the casino issues. So that's why he ends up leaving there. And, um, and there's some great Grey Hulk stories. I, you know, one of my favorites is uh, called, I think it's called Countdown. And he gets poisoned and he starts to, he, he's dying and he's got to find out who poisoned him, why they poisoned him and how to get the antidote to it. And it ends up being a character called the Madman when it's all said and done. But it, it's in that story, the first part of that, he fights the abomination and that's where he puts he throws acid in the abomination's face, and the abomination was his face was messed up more than it normally is. Uh, for a long time after that, he was portrayed as having a real messed up face. I think they got away from that eventually. But um, but the thing is, is this mutated thing, like in it, and and honestly, there's no way that you could make this character into an action figure that's not a customized action figure. Because the, there's no other use for those molds that you would need for him. And so, it, you know, it, it just it's sad because it's not something we'll ever see in plastic again if it doesn't get brought back into, you know, the comics again. You're, you're talking about a 10-month arc and you're talking about having to do a character that you would never, ever again use the molds for that character again. When they got that mold for... When they created the mold for the thing... um with the Walgreens exclusive Marvel legends back about six years ago, uh, five years ago. Um, they've used that thing, you know, now three times the Walgreens, the, there was the, the, the more modern fantastic four that was a super scroll build a wave. And then this, uh, classic retro, uh, version of the thing in the fantastic four. And I think that seeing how many of those ended up kind of being, uh, a lot of those end up going on clearance in places. I think that, uh, what we're going to see is no more, things for a while unfortunately especially not that one but that's just the kind of sometimes i just sit around and i think about these things like why have we not seen that again why have we not and i think it's because it, you know it was an experiment marvel was doing you know like let's try to mix it up with our characters and Englehart was really really ready to do that because it was something different and new and he was able to kind of put him in some different scenarios with different characters around him other than just reed and sue but um i i just uh and he put the thing in leadership as well. Like Reed left thing in charge of, of the fantastic four. And so that was kind of a new arena for him, but the character of Ben Grimm is just, I don't know that there's a better character because this is a dude who has moped around for years about how he looks about being a monster. But at the same time, he's almost come to grips with it. You know, when he's in the battle, He's like, you know, I'm, I'm the ever loving blue eyed thing, you know, and it's clobbering time. And, and, and like, he knows how to kind of be bold and brash about himself while at the same time, you know, that he longs to be human again and not, and not the thing. And what's, and, and they did a thing back in, uh, did a thing. Um, 
back in it would have had to be the seventies. Uh, I've put away my Marvel Unlimited app now, but back it would have had to been back in the seventies when they did this thing with him, where he turned into a human, and for a couple of issues, uh, Luke Cage was part of the Fantastic Four. And the thing really decided he missed being a superhero. Like he wanted to be a superhero. And so Reed made him an exoskeleton. He made him a suit of, of thing armor, basically that got brought back out after he turned into human, you know, back in the early nineties. And he stayed in that thing for a while until issue three fifty, when, um, Dr. Doom actually cured Sharon Ventura of her being a thing, at least temporarily, she ended up being a thing again. Um, but he, he really, he just wanted to be, <laughs> it's crazy. He just want, he's like, he missed the superheroing. He, he missed being able to help people the way that he could as the thing. And, um, and so he turns, he, he gets turned into a human. Uh, and it, and it came about in an actually with a battle with the Hulk, something happened with, gamma radiation where he absorbed some of the Hulk's gamma radiation and started to turn kind of human. And so Reed jumped on that and cured him basically. Well, he, uh, he, like I say, they, they brought in Luke Cage for a few issues, but the thing wanted back in. So Reed had him the suit and they end up on this journey to counter earth. And I talked about, I mentioned this issue briefly last, last, last week. Um, the thing goes to attack Galactus and Galactus says, something's wrong with you. You're not the same person I was when I met you last time. And he zaps him with cosmic rays and the thing turns back into the thing. So, you know, all hope. So he's really, he he's, he's not as tragic as the Hulk because he never loses, um, his, his facilities. He never loses his mental capabilities like Bruce Banner would with the Hulk. So he's not, just a lumbering brute. He, he is, he, and he was a test pilot. So he's a smart dude, but he, there is kind of that same kind of cursed with the, with the monster because the minute he gets cured, he's not anymore. And, you know, it's always been hypothesized that he should be able to turn it on and off. Like Sue does her invisibility. Johnny does his flames or, or Reed does with his stretching, but for whatever reason he can't. And that's been explored in, in some different ways before as well too. Uh, he's, he's an, he's a really amazing character. You know, he, he really is kind of that big softy with the, you know, with the gruff exterior, literally a hard, a hard exterior with, uh, with a, with a really kind of soft center, you know, he's soft. He's a nice guy on the inside. And so I think that's one of the things that really uh, attract me to him as a character is he's funny. He's, he's quippy and, and he's just strong and he's always, he's very loyal. You know, like one of the things that really stands out about him is his loyalty. And none of that changed when he was mutated, you know, not like the gray Hulk who got smart and not like Spider-Man who got aggressive. None of it changed. Um, if you want to know what happened with Iron Man's armor, it also turned evil, just like Venom, but not as big a deal. Uh, and you can actually see Quasar deal with that in the pages of Quasar (laughs) and what they called the last secret wars crossover. We promise. Um, I believe that was Quasar issue number seven, maybe. Let me let me check that. Let me Google that for you and find out if that's the case. I don't know. I know Quasar got to hang out with uh, Cosmic Spidey and fight uh, Terminus at one point. 
Quasar 7. Nope, that's the Spidey issue. That's him and Spidey. So this would be Quasar number number 5. Because 6 has Venom. Oh, no, that's the Absorbing Man. it. Quasar 8. Yes, Quasar number 8 is uh is him versus the the living iron man armor that had gone bad at project pegasus he goes back to project pegasus to check it out so um anyway that's that's uh that's my that's been my musings when it comes to geek stuff here recently so you know what what you gonna do you that's you that's a that's a slice of the mind of steve We've got more show for you. When we come back, you want to get in some geek stuff? We're going to get in some, some geek stuff. We're talking aliens. We're talking Loch Ness. It's going to be fun. Stick around. It's Geek Out Loud. We'll be right back. Lawson is not an accredited zoologist. He is simply an enthusiastic young man with an abiding love for all of God's creatures. Share his love this morning on the Big Honkin' Show. All of a sudden, a freaking zebra comes running yeah. down the street like a car. I would have tried to hug him. Yeah. I would have been like, come here, zebra. Come here. We must study him. He's Easy. a zebra whisperer. Easy. Hey. Here's what's happening. The yeah. zebra is just trying to get back to its natural habitat, the interstate. Me gustan mucho los animales. Have you ever been walking down the street and you see something really nice and you think to yourself, hey, where'd they get that? Maybe if you're like me, you might go up to them and say, hey, little boy, where'd you get that bird? Because I love America and I love eagles. I, I get excited about that. But maybe you're not that bold. That's why we came up with our new app for the Android and iPhone. Where'd you get that? Just take a picture of the product you're looking for. It'll tell you where you can get it. Download our new app today and you'll never have to ask, where'd you get that again? $29 ring at Walmart. I'm a single, single man, ladies. And I don't know a lot about love. Don't know a lot about relationships. But I do know this. Just work a little hard. Save up, guys. And... Come on, at least get into the triple digits on what you're spending on a ring. At least get to that $100 mark before you uh, before you buy a ring for your bride-to-be. Wow. Explain to me why this can't be a year-round thing. Then everyone won't be excited about it. Oh, I love pumpkin spice. I love pumpkin spice. Pumpkin spice is the best. Everyone likes pumpkin spice. Stop salivating. 
flavor back with an autumn bliss and sweetness. Grabs a hold of me tightly, a bowl and a spoon I eat daily and nightly. Will I ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Add it to Clorox and close glow. To the extreme, I'm like an old country bumpkin. The fragrance, it hits me and smells like a pumpkin pie. When it tastes so fine, ready for the season like the leaves and it'll change my mind. When I'm pouring the milk in the bowl, pour too much in a rush and I'm a loose gun. Love it, believe it, you gotta choose soon. You gotta use the right spoon, no other way. Bring it back to my mouth and I taste it. Cinnamon, nutmeg, and ginger, don't waste it. Spice, spice, baby. in a roll and they put it in froyo rolling it up in some dough with cinnamon but only for show the yuppies on standby at starbucks in the line did you stop no i just drove by kept on pursuing to the next stop i busted left and headed to the next block it was there again yo so i continued to pass the spice and you should too lattes hot tall vintage skinny no matter the size i don't want any pumpkin spice anywhere near mine maybe a glaze of the crispy kind ready for the pumpkin to Just to make a sale, licorice vines and cheese and shells. People will buy it up so fast. Jump in the car, burn up the gas. Bump a bump of the Starbucks is packed. I try to get away, but peppermint's next. Flavor on the scene, you know what I mean. They get to winner, and it's all that they scream. This is a problem, yo, I can't solve it. But check out the hook while my boy Shaz revolves it. Spice, spice, baby. Pumpkin spice, you know, your mama's, all this. I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm sick and tired of pumpkin spice, whatever. Just have it year round. Guess what? It's an artificial freaking flavor. So why don't you just go and suck an egg, you egg suckers? It's like the pumpkin spice. I'm indifferent. I'd rather have pumpkin spice sweets. I'm indifferent. I'm I'm indifferent. I'd rather have pumpkin spice sweets. You're a millennial. This person who wrote that is a millennial. I bet you cry at like stupid stuff in life too. Well, have your pumpkin spice sweets. It's freaking fall. You shut up.
Welcome back to Geek Out Loud. Do you have a commercial or a thought that you'd like to have played during our little break segments? You go right ahead and send those in to geekoutonline at gmail.com. Geekoutonline at gmail.com. If you're wondering about the parody songs that you've heard, that is Shaz Bazaar, uh, who put all that together, and the the ever-talented Shaz Bazaar. Proud to call him my friend. And uh, they really come out of a very specific era of the Big Honkin' Show, uh, circa 2016. Um, a lot of, lot of fun looking back and thinking about, uh, the things that went on during that time. But, uh, uh, yeah, uh, it, we, we always invite fun, creative things like that on the geek out loud and uh, are glad to have you send those into geek out online at gmail.com. Keep them clean and, uh, and, and not to steal from good friend of the show, Jimmy Mack, but make them good. All right. Uh, listen, we have got some stuff we got to talk about that has come out just really in the past week since last we were together. Uh, we got to talk about this alien situation. Got some aliens. I mean, they are they are putting them on display. of the report listen it's been a weird year for ufo and alien news we've been told by some whistleblowers that there are things in hangars somewhere out here look there apparently the indiana jones warehouse is a real thing so just keep that in mind as we consider this two alleged non-human alien corpses have been shown to mexican politicians the mummified specimens were displayed in a glass cases as part of an official unveiling at Mexico's Congress in a hearing which has stirred excitement among UFO enthusiasts. Now, we have changed UFOs to like UAPs now. That they call UF to, to give them more credulity. Uh, they call it the UAP, the unidentified aerial phenomenon. Politicians were told they found they were found in the city of Cusco, Peru, and were estimated to be a thousand years old. The Mexico City event was spearheaded by journalist and UFO researcher Jaime Massan, who testified under oath, under oath, mind you, that almost a third of their DNA is, quote, unknown. That's because paper mache has no DNA. <laughs> Wait, does paper have DNA? No, paper mache has no DNA. And the specimens were not part of our terrestrial evolution, Mexican media reported. These specimens are not part of our evolutionary history on Earth, he said in his presentation to the Mexican government officials and representatives from the U.S. They are not beings recovered, or they are not beings recovered from a UFO crash. Instead, they were found in diatom, algae mines, and subsequently became fossilized. However, a 2015 claim by Mr. Massan that a mummified body, purportedly that of an alien, found near Nazca in Peru, was later debunked as it was shown to be a human child. Ugh. Speaking about the latest discovery, Mr. Massan told the Mexico City delegation the specimens had been examined at the Autonomous National University of Mexico, ANUM, 
He said scientists used radiocarbon dating to gather DNA evidence and x-rays had shown one to have, quote, eggs, unquote, inside. Congress representatives said the information had left them with thoughts and concerns and with the view to continue talking about this. Ryan Graves, a former U.S. Navy pilot who in July claimed the number of UFOs or UAPs, I just said that, unidentified anomalous phenomenon, I'm sorry, was being grossly underreported. He was also in attendance. Last year marked the 75th anniversary of the Roswell UFO incident, which still attracts theories to this day. An extraterrestrial spacecraft is said to have crashed in the desert of New Mexico in 1947, leading to the possible recovery of alien bodies, which theorists claim have been covered up by the American government. So, um, there we go. Uh, we, th- he has these little aliens and they are <laughs> in these, in these climate controlled glass cases. And, uh, they look like everything you want little aliens to look like. Um, they got big heads. They have tiny little bodies. They are mummified. Indeed. One of them apparently has some eggs inside. Now, uh, the corpse display, uh, has been labeled um, as a as a as just a fantastic hoax. This this is all coming from Sky News, by the way. Professor Brian Cox says alien corpse display in New Me- in in Mexico rather was way too humanoid. Oh come on, come on guys, they look way too like too much like humans. Come on, everybody knows aliens aren't humanoid. They look way too humanoid. Two arms, two legs, a head, got faces. What are you thinking? Got faces. <laughs> Physicist and TV presenter Professor Brian Cox says the corpses were way too humanoid, and that it was very unlikely that an intelligent species that evolved on another planet would look like us. Well, that's unlikely. A Mexican congressional hearing where two alleged non-human alien corpses were displayed has been described as an unsubstantiated stunt. And uh, let's see, Ryan, let's see. However, he was less. Ryan Graves was a U.S. Navy pilot who in July claimed the number of UFOs or UAPs was being grossly underreported. He was at the meeting. Here's what he says He was less than complimentary of the proceedings. Unfortunately, yesterday's demonstration was a huge step backwards for this issue. He posted on X, formerly known as Twitter. My testimony centered on sharing my experience in the UAP reports I hear from commercial military aircrew through ASA's witness program. I will continue to raise awareness of UAP as an urgent matter of aerospace safety, national security, and science, but I am deeply disappointed by this unsubstantiated stunt. The Mexican politicians were told the specimens were found in the city of Cusco, Peru, were estimated to be a thousand years old, as we've said. Uh, let's see here. If there's any new information in this particular. Um, secondly, this is back to Brian Cax. Secondly, send a sample off to 23andMe, let alone the university down the road, and they'll tell you within 10 minutes. Well, they can't send a DNA sample because paper mache doesn't have DNA. Last year marked the 75th anniversary. We've talked about that. All right. So Brian Cax is not very happy with, uh, with this deal, but I haven't seen yet where anyone has debunked the situation. So what do you say? I I think that uh, this is a this is crazy, man. <laughs> this is from the Smithsonian Magazine. Alien corpses 
did not convince scientists. Oh, you think? You sure? I, I imagine scientists, scientists would be incredibly convinced by these things. It looks like uh, some really good sculpture work. Two specimens alleged to be the remains of aliens were presented before the Mexican Congress on Wednesday by a self-proclaimed ufologist. It's a UFOologist who was previously engaged in pseudoscience and false claims regarding extraterrestrials. UFO scientist, writer, and TV host Jaime Mossan. We talked about all this. Let's see if there's any new information here. These conclusions are simply not backed up by evidence. And Tigona Segura, one of Mexico's top astrobiologists, tell Simon Romero of the New York Times, the whole thing is very shameful. Uh, here is what uh, they say here. In no case do we make conclusions about the origin of these samples. The university's National Laboratory of Mass Spectrometry with Accelerator said in a statement first released in 2017 per the Times. This is... Um, this is where he says the National Autonomous University of Mexico dated these things. But like, we're not making any conclusions about the origin of this stuff. I, I don't. I, if you took some clay and made something, here's an interesting question, because these things look either like paper mache or like they were made out of some type of clay, like they were sculpted or something. So if I take a rock and I sculpt that rock into something, I, I chisel it away. And maybe you can tell me this. And I chiseled away and, and make a make a statue, Gazuntite. Uh or, or or maybe I make a tiny little alien baby looking thing. And I and I put that baby on display, but I have it tested by people and they radiocarbon date it and it's like, well, this is a thousand years. In I mean, the rock, is it isn't the rock old? You know, we don't get we don't get new rocks. You know? Same thing with dirt. If I take clay and I form this thing and I bake it off and everything and do it and, and I and I give them a sample of what I found and say, hey, we found this and everything, and they test it, well, this is like a thousand years old. Isn't that dirt like old dirt? Like we don't get new dirt, do we? Like dirt doesn't get recycled. Wouldn't dirt I just blew my own mind here. Anyway, all right, let's just let's continue on here. So the idea here is this guy has hoaxed them before. They won't listen. I, in the in the in the words of former President George W. Bush, "Hey, fool you once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. No, you fool me once, shame on you. You fool me twice, you shame on you too. You can't fool me twice. So, do rocks come from lava? Some rocks come from lava." But what is lava but melted rock? We get new dirt all the time as other things break down and turn into dust. Or, Thank you, Shaz. You're right. You're right. Never mind. There's no such thing as... There, there is such thing as new dirt, ladies and gentlemen. I was wrong. That's that's a that's a great point. Thank you down here. It does happen down in the, with the heat and humidity. Dirt is on your shoes. That's... Well, cattle boss, I don't appreciate you trying to call me out on my dirty shoes. Uh, that's not that's not very kind. Uh, but we'll take it. I'll take that. I'll take that. My point is this: they look like little paper mache thing. They look like someone's paper mache art project in high school. Like it looks like someone in high school is trying to be sharp, and they made a really good paper mache pro, uh, you know, thing. Soil can be created. I guess so. All right, I get it, guys. There's new dirt. And new rocks. 
My mind is no longer blown. I've taken the pieces of my mind that had been blown and I put them back together in my head and everything's fine. So now we turn to, um, we turn to something else. Let's see how this goes. The biggest search for Loch Ness in more than 50 years was conducted back in August. Monster hunters, monster hunters. How do you get the name Monster Hunter? How do you get that title? Like, Van Helsing was a monster hunter, right? But he was a fictional character. How does one become a monster hunter? I feel like that's just something um, Ben Grimm was New Rocks at some point. Yeah, I guess so. That's true. That's true. And yeah, compost bins create new dirt. Yeah, that's true. I get it, guys. Listen. Hey, hey, everybody. Hey, I'm the dummy. All right? When I'm talking about new dirt, I'm talking about the non-organic part of it all. I'm not talking about fertilizer for soil. Can I get onto this new thing now? How do you... (laughs) I've now got lost in the chat. How do you become a monster hunter? Hunt monsters. (laughs) I feel like that's what I do sometimes when I look at the chat. Who's being a monster today? Researchers and monster hunters are gathering in the United Kingdom, Scottish Highlands this week. This was back in August uh, to look for the eternally elusive Loch Ness Monster, the biggest search for the legendary beast in more than 50 years. Somewhere beneath the, this comes from uh, the associate. Uh, this comes from NPR, by the way. Somewhere beneath the shimmering surface of Loch Ness lies Nessie the legendary sea beast whose reputation spans nearly 1,500 years. At least that's what monster hunters and Nessie enthusiasts from around the world hope to prove Saturday and Sunday. This is back in August. The Loch Ness Center and the research group Loch Ness Exploration are are asking all aspiring monster hunters to join in on the biggest search since 1972. Our purpose is to observe, record, and study the natural behavior of the lock and the phenomena that may be more challenging to explain. The Loch Ness Explanation Facebook page reads, If you believe that Loch Ness Monster exists and we invite you to join the search, we equally invite you to support the study of the lock and the natural behavior of the elements that may be the root cause of these strange reports from Loch Ness. So what they're trying to do here is they're trying to say, hey, Let's uh, let's not just look for the monster. Let's look and see what may be causing people to see this. Or if there is a monster, what makes this place so special that these monsters live here? Because I'm going to tell you, if this this is something that's been spanning the the story waves for 1500 years. That's right, story waves. I said, uh, and and that ain't no monster living no 1500 years. I'm sorry, Loch Ness monster is not living. It, it, it it's a dinosaur, and it's not living 15. That means there's little not Loch Ness monsters that are being born. Here and there. So that means there's been a family of Loch Ness monsters living in Loch Ness for 1,500 years. Loch Ness. If you believe... Okay, wait a minute. Okay, investigators are bringing out all sorts of technology, including surveying equipment. The Loch Ness Century says that it had never been used on the freshwater lake before. Drones with infrared cameras will fly over the lake, and a hydrophone will be used under the surface to detect Nessie-like calls. Okay. All right. Hey, do you guys get your hydrophone? I sure did. All right. Fire up. Hello. Hello. We're trying to reach uh, Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster. Hello. Is this Nessie? I'm on my hydrophone. So hopefully you will understand me when I speak to you. Hey, Nessie. 
Maybe I need a Scottish accent. Oh, uh, listen. I am William Wallace. William Wallace is seven feet tall. Aye, and if he were here, he could stream the English. He'd David name you. How you feeling? This is my head feeling. Remember at the start of the show, I talked about being old. <clears throat> Volunteers will also participate in the large surface watch of the lock, scanning the surface for any irregularities. However, due to an overwhelming demand from enthusiasts, the group is no longer accepting applicants, applicants hoping to participate in person. But the Loch Ness Center says those still eager to participate can do so virtually through a live stream. At 22 square miles with a maximum depth of 788 feet, Loch Ness is Great Britain's largest lake by volume and second largest by surface area, according to Encyclopedia Britannica. That's a name I've not heard in a long time. A long time. Encyclopedia Britannica. Now, oh, they have a website. Huh. What do you know about that? Why aren't we using Britannica.com instead of Wikipedia? I Listen, Britannica has, to me, a, a better reputation, has a better pedigree, if you will. Ooh, this was last updated August 26th of 2023. Let's see what we can find here. Um, nope, nothing. All right, so let's continue on. Uh, I just was, I was blown away by the, by the mention of Encyclopedia Britannica. There was also the World Book Encyclopedia back in the day. Um, encyclopedias were this amazing thing. Remember when, uh, for those of us who are old enough, that people would actually go door to door to sell encyclopedias or there were commercials, encyclopedia commercials. All right. I got a, and, and, encyclopedia commercial <laughs> let's find out here we go oh 1992 oh i remember this guy i'm just looking at this guy right now and he's really super annoying to me encyclopedia botanic commercial 1992 here we go remember me yes i had a report to on space then I got the new Encyclopedia Britannica. He had a report due on space, and then he got the new Encyclopedia... I think I made that abundantly clear. Um, yes. Anyhow, here it is. I mean, hey, everybody knows this is the greatest encyclopedia in the world. Help me get a B plus. Why not an A? Too long. I found so much great information, I put it all in. Overkill. Hmm. The next report I did was for my science class on the human body. Look at all this great stuff. But this time I wised up and made it just the length my teacher asked for. Got a B minus. What? Just kidding. Scored an A. Uh, good. To find oh, out how you... Look at this. I always wondered where my mandibula was. Mm-hmm. To find out how you can own the new insect. We're studying the environment right now. Look at all this great stuff on ecosystems. Also, all you need to know about global warming, the greenhouse effect, the hole in the ozone. 1992. You know, all that cheerful stuff. Uh, yes. Say so you so... want to check up on the Amazon rainforest and what's going on down there. We got to save this place. For details on how you can own the new Encyclopedia Britannica... Let's have that 800 number. Excellent. Just call this number and we'll send you this free booklet. Tell them about the gift. And just for previewing Britannica in your home, we'll give you this three-volume desk reference set. This is like having your own research library at home. Mm, yes. So if you would be interested in owning the new Encyclopedia Britannica... Don't press. They see the phone number. If they want to, they'll call. What a jerk. I guess you're right. What a Trust jerk. Me. 
Oh man, what a jerk kid. Let's see what else we got here. Um I know there was a World Book commercial back in the day. Mom, what's rocket fuel made of? Look it up, dear. Look it up, dear. Stay tuned for a free offer from Encyclopedia Britannica. Come taste the adventure. Like these were on the television, ladies and gentlemen. We would watch the, these commercials would interrupt our cartoons. And uh and and so anyhow, I was just it blew my mind to see Britannica back on the thing. I didn't realize there was a Britannica.com. That's going to be where I begin to go now from here on out because that's though. Wasn't there world book? Wasn't the world book a thing? Uh, world book in Because I remember the world book encyclopedia commercials a little bit better. I think commercial. Well, that's from 1969. I don't want to watch that one. That looked creepy. Uh, 1997. That's a little too new. Hmm. This looks about the right spot. Back to school means notebooks, clothes, health, and dental checkups. But back to school could also mean curiosity. Discovery Ooh, no. and the joy of learning. Bet it doesn't. World Book Educational Products is having a back to school clearance sale. So write Ooh. down this toll free number okay. and take advantage of this once a year opportunity while supplies. I'll be honest with you, I don't think that was appealing to the kids as the smarmy dude being a smart aleck to the narrator. When's this one from? Remember when there was one place to go for all the information you needed to I do sure all do. your homework. Yeah. Remember the excitement of finding just what you needed. When this you is like a black it. and white commercial. Remember it looks how like the World Book made learning fun. Yeah. Well, the World Book is back. Oh, it's back. And it's got a new attitude. The world's best learning encyclopedia is now ready for your computer. Oh, that's and old. This is IBM, like 96. That's amazing. That's like a it's like a computer program version of it. Wow, World Book was trying to be on the cutting edge with what they had to do. Hey, what was Geek Out Loud about this time? The encyclopedias. Why why was he talking about encyclopedias? Well, he's old. He started the whole show talking about how he couldn't see to wipe the smudges off of his readers. So, you tell me. All right. Uh... <laughs> uh I'm trying to see. Obviously, this is just um, something that's gone on uh, back in um, back in August. I don't know if there were any results from that whatsoever. I wish I could have known that I could be a monster hunter. This was going on at the time. Uh, it's good to know that uh, people are still hunting for for the Loch Ness monster. You would think that in the in the age of webcams and motion sensitive game cameras. Um, there would be a constant look on that. I can go on YouTube and look up bears and see live cameras there at that famous waterfall where the, where they catch the salmon when they're, when they're uh, going upstream. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know why we can't put that out at Loch Ness. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, maybe it's a European thing. Maybe it's like, we don't want cameras in our, in our nature. So I don't know. Um, I don't think we're going to do that. Uh, Nixon, Nixon got to him. Uh, we're guardians of this unique story. 
as well as investing in creating an unforgettable experience for visitors. We're committed to helping continue the search and unveil the mysteries that lie underneath the waters of the famous lock. So I wonder a couple of things. Number one, what is a hydrophone? Number two, um, what did they find? So let's see. Massive underwater landslide that was discovered in 2016. We're seeing that here. Um, I bet that was some event. So this is someone talking about, uh, um, what they were going to do with the hydrophone. Now look at this. I took this photo on eight August 23. So how does British things work? So is he saying I took this on in 2008? No, it would have been the 8th of August, 2023. Oh, my not very far up from Fort Augustus, iPhone store, the GPS photo location. I think it might be a monster or maybe a log. But I really quickly grabbed my phone and took a photo of it, and I'm proud of it. Well, if it was a log, you'd have been able to see it. He's got a picture of the monster from 2023. I'm at the Loch Ness Exploration uh, page on, on Facebook now. Wow. Let me, huh, that's interesting. Uh, there's no proof it's at the lock, no size scale, and could well be the tail of a dog. It's not the tail of a dog. It's the Loch Ness Monster. Oh, they've made some, uh, they, they did, the report from our time at Loch Ness is done and dusted, but some of the media attachments aren't playing ball, which is very annoying, so he's getting it. Oh wow! I wonder how we get on this on this stuff. Hey, what did Steve do with the show? He just looked on Facebook at the Loch Ness monster stuff. Really? How was that? It was the most boring thing I've ever heard in my life. Daggummit! I had one more story today. Speaking of monsters, um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Look, we don't know what happened. I will, I will endeavor to find out what happened to that thing. I just think it's neat that there were people going to search for that thing. How do you feel about the Loch Ness Monster? Email us, geekoutonline at gmail.com. Don't forget to hit like and subscribe. Leave us a five-star review, all that good stuff. Uh, we like to, on our show, celebrate the triumph of the human spirit over all manner of adversity or just celebrate when someone gets a big win. And uh, we call it our real-life Superhero. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me. Tennessee woman, Mississippi man. Uh, sets record for longest female mullet, five foot eight inches. Tammy Manis won. Uh, Tammy Manis won Guinness World Record after a five foot eight inch mullet after going thirty three years without a haircut. Now, to be fair, she's had a haircut because she's had to keep it business on top. But that party in the back does not stop, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, she goes thirty three years without a haircut down the back. Tammy Manis knows she got the world record. 
uh, for the longest mullet on a female. Manis, 58, spoke on Thursday about her path to clinching what is arguably one of the most unusual marks maintained by Guinness World Records in an interview published by the organization known for curating a database of more than 40,000 world records. She revealed how the music video for the 1985 song Voices Carry by the rock band Till Tuesday inspired her to begin growing her particular her hair particularly long in the back. The girl the girl had a rat tail. <laughs> That's not fair. That's not fair. I shouldn't That girl had a rat tail. Uh, said Manis, a public health nurse from Knoxville, which is home to the University of Tennessee. Of course it is. And I really wanted one of those. That hairstyle for which Manis felt an admiration was a spinoff of the short in the front, long in the back hairstyle made popular in the 1980s and 90s by the actor Patrick Swayze, the musician Billy Ray Cyrus, and Siri A. Uh, Siri A star uh, Roberto Baggio, among other heartthrobs. Manis, heartthrobs. Manis had a good mullet going in the fall of 89 when she had it cut and immediately felt pangs of regret. In February 1990, she went back to the salon the last time she would trim the back of her hair. She said it has not cut since... She has not cut it since. Wow. And it now measures 5 feet 8 inches. Wow. Unsurprisingly, it's a topic of frequent frequent topic of conversation with friends, family, and passing acquaintances, many of whom did not even realize how long her mullet is until she turns around. That's because it's all business in the front. They, they don't know that there's a party in the back. As she recounted again, as many people who meet Manus again after randomly encountering her years earlier find themselves recalling who she is simply because of her mullet. The weirdest thing I find is people remember me from years ago. Well, yeah, they do. Because no one else looked at a, tool, a Till Tuesday video and said, it's what I want out of life. Oh, hush. Keep it out now. Voices carry. Last year, Manus signed up to compete in the U.S. Mullet Championships. We y'all, we're doomed. The U.S. Mullet Championships, which annually draws more than a thousand applicants, judges evaluating the length, style, and uniqueness and showmanship. Who's judging the mullets? Manis, uh, the competition's three hundred dollar runner-up prize, and the top and the top five hundred dollar prize went to Alexa Lindsay of Holland, Michigan, who has since died. Oh. <laughs> oh Oh my gosh. Well, wow, she died. Michigan is now home to the USA mullet champion. I got to say something. Her mullet is not that great. It's not, it doesn't have the length and the, uh, but she gained attention for her award winning mullet, distinct honor being the 2022 USA female mullet champion. Wow. So she's passed on. She's not that old. That's that's unfortunate. Anyway, Tammy lived. Tammy's lived to reap the reward. So you know, look who's look who's there now. Uh, Guinness then created its own record category for the longest competitive mullet. Manis felt she had a shot. Um, when I opened, she said, uh, "I learned by email that I'd secured the title and still recalls the moment she received the package." containing her Guinness certificate, officially recognizing her as the woman with the world's longest mullet. When I opened it, I thought, this is amazing. Well, where do you go from there? Mana said her set of good genes has helped her grow her hair long and thick as it is. She said she washes her mullet with products from the manufacturer Hask, 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 
That's her trying to get it for free, by the way, including shampoo and conditioner with argan oil in it. She usually keeps it braided because her mullet is longer than she is tall. On its website, Guinness notes that the mullet never really died out, even if its popularity faded beginning in the latter part of the 90s. Iran's government, for instance, had to ban the style for being too decadent. After many hair salons closed during activity restrictions meant to slow the spread of the COVID pandemic, mullets have enjoyed somewhat of a resurgence. Man said she never bothered tracking the ebbs and flow of mullets. I've just kept the hairstyle, she said. Wow. Rocky Top will always be home sweet home to me. Good old Rocky Top. Woo! Rocky Top, Tennessee. Mullet growing lady. Wow. Five foot, eight inches long. What a party. What a party. Goodness. All because voices carry. Well, I tell you what, it takes it takes stamina. It takes uh it takes personality, it takes endurance, and it takes it takes some gumption to keep it up for that long in your life. Thirty three years with no haircut. That's why you're this week's real life superhero. Tammy Manis. Please understand, I find nothing wrong or offensive with the mullet. I, I don't want anyone who's sporting a mullet to think, oh, Steve doesn't like my hair. Not at all. I just think that at some point there's more things to kind of go after. she could have a wonderful mullet and still cut it. You know what I mean? Like there's no reason of having a mullet that's longer than you are tall. There's just no, there's no sense in it. You can trim it up and still have a, 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 an incredibly long flowing mullet that in, and, and all respect to you for that party. Cause that is a party party and a half. But at some point, you know, it's like it's like the tattoos. I know many of you probably are tattooed, and that's great. Uh, but there is some that happens in somebody to get one, and they feel like they got to just go and, and go all out, you know, and continue. I think the mullet situation's that way. I know. I, th- listen, the beard was that way. The beard was a was an accident on me. I I used to do just a goat, you know, a little goatee kind of action. Not well. It was all really to kind of cover up my face. And then I grew the beard out all the way. And I'm like, oh, I like this. And so I've just kept it all these years. Maybe the mullet's the same way. I don't know. I don't know. I do know this, that we'd love to hear from you. We didn't have any emails this time. Ain't got no emails, Randy. But uh, if you'd like to email us, we'd love to hear from you. Geekoutonline at gmail.com. We enjoy featuring emails here on the show. And it'll keep a lot of nonsense from happening. You You email me your nonsense and... And it'll keep a lot of nonsense from happening. I want to thank everyone who joined us live at Mixer.com slash Goliverse. Don't forget, if you want to support the show, you can do so at Patreon.com slash GeekOutLoud. We appreciate everyone who helps us keep the lights on around here. If uh, I think you can use the Amazon links. I'm still not sure. If someone wants to tell me how that to do. I, apparently, some people have bought some shirts over at our Spreadshirt store. I got a, got a notification today. That's nice. I mean, I don't know what the links are to that, but maybe by next time we'll figure those out and have some new designs and stuff up in the store for you. It's always good to sell some merch. That's all I got. 
So let's let's really examine what has taken place here. We spent a chunk of time on Anim Apocalypse stuff. We we talked about a mullet. We had no resolution to the Loch Ness monster story at all. By the way, I learned about a hydrophone. And um. And and there's these aliens that have been presented to the Mexican Congress, like, hey, they're real. And somewhere in there, I actually talked about, you know, Ben Grimm, the thing. If you don't like Geek Out Loud, if you think Geek Out Loud has changed, I don't blame you. It sure has. But I had fun, and I hope you did too. So until next time, whenever that may be, I'm Steve Glosson. Thanks for hanging out with us here on Geek Out Loud. We'll see you next time.